Good morning, church. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Well, we want to welcome you to Stone Point Church. If you are here for the very first time, we're grateful that you've taken this weekend to hang out with us, and we pray that uh, it's an encouragement to your heart. Uh, we also would love to uh, just put a face for the name. We'd love to meet you. And so we encourage you, whether you're on the Wills Point or the Edgewood campus, uh, to head over to Connection Point, and we would love to hook you up with a free T-shirt if you're a first-time guest. Uh, we would also love to pray for you or encourage you any way we can. Or maybe you're here and you don't have a Bible. You would love one. We'd love to bless you with the, uh, a Bible today. Uh, today, uh, we are going to wrap up a series called Don't Get Scrooged. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, the novella that was written by Charles Dickens uh, and the idea of the Christmas Carol. And so you have a handful of spirits, and uh, there was the, the spirit of Christmas past, the, uh, the spirit of Christmas present, and the, the spirit of Christmas future. And so we've just kind of been using those as kind of a segue to help us understand what Christmas should look like according to our Bibles from the past, the present, and the future. And a couple of weeks ago, we uh, looked at what the prophets wrote. And so the prophets. Uh, a long time ago, anywhere from uh, 1,200 to 700 years before Jesus would ever come to the scene, uh, they wrote about the Messiah, the Christ child, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would uh, be from the town of Nazareth, that he would eventually uh, make his way to Bethlehem through the census that was taken, that he would uh, come, that he would be born in the manger, that he would give himself up. And so we talked about why that should bring us hope that all the story of the prophets and what they said uh, would come to fruition and how that should change what we believed about Christmas. And then last week we looked at uh, how God revealed himself. And God revealed himself uh, in the form of flesh uh, and in God incarnate. He came and he dwelt among his people. And so as we saw that come to fruition, we also saw that God revealed himself to not just the kings of the east, but also the shepherds. And the shepherds are really a great picture of us. Uh, they are, uh, in a sense, they're, they're, uh, they're peasantry, they're, they're dirty, they're filthy, uh, they're sinners, uh, and yet God revealed himself to them. And what was interesting is that when they saw uh, the light of heaven revealed to them, they went with haste to find the good news. Uh, they, they find this baby laying in a manger, and they begin to share all that God had done uh, in, in that story as he revealed himself to these people. And uh, it said that even Mary heard all of these things and she pondered them. And it just reminds me that isn't that really the point of Christmas is to share the good news? And I think we oftentimes get kind of trapped in what Christmas is not about and we forget the hope of Christ and the good news that is offered. And, and here's what Christmas is. It's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and, and you know, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Christmas is the good news. It's the story of God coming near to people. And that's what we would celebrate, which means that it should change our future. Uh, if you remember uh, the Christmas carol, you've got this, this uh, spirit of Christmas future. And uh, the spirit of Christmas future uh, was, a, was a character in which you never saw his face. It was the darkest of all the spirits that uh, Scrooge would see. And when he saw, he was captivated because all you could see was this hand. Uh, and this hand would guide him around to the different things in the future. And one of the things that he really spoke most about was death and this idea of what death was. And he was showing Scrooge this picture of, of somebody dying. And he, he went to a handful of businessmen, and the businessmen were, were talking about a funeral. And one one of them remarked and said, I bet there's not going to be a whole lot of people attending this funeral. Another one said, well, I'll only go if there's lunch provided. And then 
he took him on another journey, and he, he took uh, Scrooge all, all the way, and he saw this, this woman that worked for him was stealing his stuff. He saw um, you know, all of these different things, and he goes, well, show me someone that's, that's mourning over death. And, and so he, he would do that, and then the only one that he saw grieving over death was the story of Tiny Tim. That's where he sees that in the narrative. And, and then he's he, he kind of trying to figure it all out, and he's He's asking questions, and he's uh, never hearing anything, but this hand just continues to guide him. It eventually gets him all the way to his, to his grave, in which finally Scrooge understands that the death that people were talking about was his own death, and that no one would be sad when he died, because the death brought no hope. And at that point, that's when he, he pleaded with the spirit of Christmas future to remove it from his grave, and that he would vow to be a different man. Here's the crazy thing is when you talk about the future hope for us based off of the past, the present um, reality of Christmas for a Christian, there should be great hope in our death. There should be great hope in what we should experience not only upon our death. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means that our best days as Christians should actually be ahead. And I don't know about you, but in my foolishness, sometimes even my selfishness, I might even say, hey, God, I'm looking forward to that. Like eternity sounds like it's going to be awesome, but I really have a lot of things here that I would like to do. But that's really not what you get from the writers of the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament would always say that this life and the circumstances that surround our present reality, they, are in, they, they pale in comparison to the future hope and the glory that is going to be revealed in the last days. And I don't know about you, but in Christmas times, I oftentimes think about the present and about what my kids should experience and what I want for them and all the different things. I, I fail to remember that the greatest glory is to come. And so today, I just want to remind you in the next few minutes that we'll share together about the future hope that we have in Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, believe it or not, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, uh, the one who walked on water, the one who uh, cut uh, the ear off of a soldier, he's going to tell us about the hope of Christmas. He's going to tell us about what Christmas future is uh, is going to be about, and, and you didn't you didn't even know that, and Peter didn't know it when he was writing it, but here's what Peter does. In about 23 verses, which we're not going to cover that many, he tells us the hope of Advent. He tells us about hope and joy and peace and about love, all the things we celebrate in the coming of Christ. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to dive in. And here's the awesome thing, is that we don't need the ghost of Christmas past, present, or future to tell us about what we have, because we've got the God of Christmas past, present, and future, and he tells us everything we need. And so here it is. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, when you read that, here's what you need to understand. Peter is not just writing to those who would read it like us. We're an audience and we're reading it. We're able to take it and, and break it down and see kind of what it means. But here's what Peter's writing. Peter is writing to a group of people who've been scattered all over the known world and they were running for their lives. They were discouraged. They were alone. They were afraid. There were many evenings where they probably sat and in tears, they wondered if this whole idea of the and following Christ was really worth it. Because it would be so much easier if they just did what they were always going to do, if they just fit in with the crowd. But here it is now, they're running for their lives. They're hiding in caves and catacombs. They, they're wondering, is this all worth it? 
I mean, is it really going to come to pass what they say about Christ? And if you know Peter, Peter was a firsthand witness to what Christ had done. Peter had seen Christ. Peter had eaten with Christ. But all the the people that he's writing to, all they are doing is taking him at his word. They've never seen Christ, most of them. They've never touched him. And so what they see is is just the, the expression of what Peter is saying in his words. And so here it is. Peter is trying to encourage the scattered, alone, and persecuted church. And how does he do it? He goes, you should know that God, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. What he's saying is, he goes, listen, you need to know that God is good, that God is rich in mercy. How? God is rich in mercy because he would choose to reveal himself to peasantry like you and me. And remember the shepherds, if you were here last week, we talked about them. I mean, they're out in a field by night, in darkness, afraid, alone, trying to fend off anything that would attack them. They're prone to any attack. And here it is, they're searching after what life is about. And they're shunned, they're afraid, and then God shines a bright light. He goes, hey, let me tell you about the good news of Christmas. And he reveals himself. The good news is brought forth to these shepherds. And you know what the shepherds do when they hear the good news? They go, listen, I'm not going to tend to these sheep anymore. There's far more in my life that's important. And they run to the good news of the gospel. They realize that life is not about this job, this vocation of tending sheep. They go, listen, God, being rich in mercy, has called me out of darkness in the midnight sky into the light and the hope of the coming king. And so they run with haste to Jesus. Why? To experience God among them. What Peter says, a new hope to be born again, a new life, a future hope. Once deserving of death and condemnation, now being brought into the victory and the hope of Jesus, the Messiah of the world. And that's what Peter is saying. He goes, listen, there is hope for us. There is hope for the future glory that's being revealed to us. Matter of fact, he says, the hope that we're offered is a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes, because of what Jesus did, he came and he lived a perfect life He died on the sinner's cross. He gives us hope. And it gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Think about that for just a second. What God gives us through the salvation he offers to us in our humanity, he says, I'll call you out of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ. I'm going to make you my people. I'm going I'm to make you a priesthood, a royal people. You're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You're going to take the good news and you're going to share it with the world. You are now going to be my ambassador, my, uh, my messenger. And here's the good thing. Every investment you make is going to be held firm till the end. There is nothing that you have to be fearful of. Why? Because he goes, everything that I've done in your life is imperishable, which means it's not going to pass away. Everything I've done is undefiled. It means it's unstained. It's, it's undisputed. It's unpolluted. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's unfading, meaning it's not going to decay. You remember the words of Jesus? He goes, hey, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where what? Thieves breaking the steel, moths destroy, rust decays. Think about this just real quickly. Think about Christmas. Christmas oftentimes is meant for us to scurry around in stress, trying to find a gift that somebody won't throw away. 
couple years ago, uh, we're at our family Christmas, and we've tried to figure out different ways, like creative, fun ways to have Christmas, right? Because it kind of gets bland, you know, going, hey, there's $30, and you're going to select this person to spend that, and they're going to do something. And so we thought, you know what, we're going to have some sort of clever game, and we're going we're gonna to fight over gifts, right? Um, and so you, you, know what you, you know what that's like. And so um, I have a brother-in-law that thought, hey, it would be really cool to buy an as-seen-on-TV dash cam to watch your kids, which I happen to get. And when I got that, I'm sure he could see the excitement on my face. And then I complained about it all day. And I'm like, who in the world would buy a dash cam and bring it to the Christmas exchange? Who wants it? Of which Kelly's brother finally admits and even says, I think it's really cool, and I thought somebody would love it. And at that point, I said, well, I would love to exchange with you. I'll take your gift, and you can have this really cool as-seen-on-TV dash cam that watches your kids in the back seat, in which he replies, no, that's cool. You can keep it. (laughs) And I want to reply in my flesh, you dumped your garbage on me. Give me my money back. I couldn't even sell this thing in a garage sale. Why? Because it's trash. Nobody wants a dash cam as seen on TV, if you get what I'm talking about. Now listen, I know that you would never have this problem at your family Christmas, but my point is, my point is, most of the stuff we stress over buying for our kids, nieces, nephews, uncles, friends, is stuff that's going in the garbage. And what's awesome about our future hope is there is nothing that is garbage in our relationship with Christ. Everything, what what Peter says, he goes, everything that we have because of our salvation and being born again in Christ, every single thing is imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. It will not go away. And so we, we oftentimes lose sight of that. But here's what's incredible is that what we can invest in at Christmas time are things that will not perish, which just brings to, to mind. And so just a little time out just to encourage your hearts. Listen, Christmas here in our present reality can still be a blessing, but the key is to remind yourself of things that will always last. And so it's relationships. It's, it's time spent well. It's not stressing because your guest arrived 15 minutes early. It's not stressing because your floors aren't mopped. It's not stressing because the meal didn't turn out just right. It's just to enjoy the present reality because it moves us towards the future hope of something undefiled. And so just remind yourselves that what we do now can matter if we ask the right question. And so here's a great stress reliever in our home. It's just to remind ourselves that the decision we're making might have eternal impact. So for instance, your guests show up 15 minutes early and you stress and you look at your husband and you yell at him because he hasn't mopped the floors yet. You said you were gonna mop the floors. It's just to remind yourself in that moment, is mopping the floors gonna make a difference in eternity? And the answer is no. I ask that same question oftentimes when I think our kids may be five minutes late or when a train gets on our way. At the end of the day, I can stress and I can yell and I can be frustrated and exasperate, even move that into my kids, or I can just ask the question, is it gonna matter for eternity if my kid is tardy? And the answer is no. 
And so at Christmas, one of the reasons that we can enjoy the resurrection of Christ and the unfading hope of glory that we have is when we realize the things that will not perish. What will not perish? Eternal impact. It will not perish. The future glory to be revealed. It will not perish. And so that's what we should center our attention on. Why will it not perish? Well, Peter says it's because it's kept in heaven for us. That's what he says. He goes, our inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Wow, what an incredible blessing that God is using moments in our life to prepare us for a future hope in which it's being secured and kept in heaven for me. How? By God's power. It's by God's power that all things are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And what he's talking about, he goes, we were called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Christ. We are being changed, transformed, renewed, in a sense, almost on a daily basis, in the sense that we are being perfected into the image of Christ. Uh, Paul would write it this way to the church in Rome. He would say, hey, listen, we are being transformed. We are being conformed. Our minds are being transformed. Our bodies being conformed to the image of Christ. And he goes, we should be looking forward to the hope that's to be revealed. Why? Because it's by God's power. God's power. God's power that, that we see that his omniscience that he knows all things, that he's omnipotent, that he has all power, that he's ever-present, that is by his sovereign, that he is everywhere at all locations. He sees all things, he guards all things, all things are entrusted to his care by faith, and he is preparing us for the future hope to be revealed. That's incredible. And you go, well, how? Like, what does that even look like? Here's what it looks like. Think about the shepherds that we talked about last week. There it is. They're there they're in the midnight skies, and then light comes. You know what light does? Light reveals impurities, and it gives us hope in the darkness. And so here it is, in the darkness, afraid, alone, doing their thing, God shows himself to them. And they see a great light, in which reveals the glory of the coming king. They tell the good news. They say, listen, God has finally come among the people. You can find him laying in a manger. There he is, God incarnate. They can touch him. They can see him. They can hold him. They can behold his glory. They've wondered what God must look like. And here it is, God is among them. And God would come and through the person and the work of Jesus, he would live perfection. He would never think a wrong thought. He would never say a hateful thing. He would never do anything that wouldn't display God and his goodness. And here it is, this boy turns into a man and he goes and he has a perfect ministry. They hate him, they jeer him, they crucify him though he's innocent. And here's what happens. Even though we're estranged and separated from God because of Jesus' perfect life, because of his death, and on the third day, him being resurrected, it gives us hope. And God shows himself and he overcomes sin, death, darkness, and the grave when he's resurrected. And he goes, hey, listen, I'm going and I'm gonna prepare a place for you and I'm gonna come back and receive you unto myself and I wanna give you the gift of eternal life in which I'll keep in heaven for you to be revealed in the last day if you'll simply believe and receive me. And that's what he does. He goes, I have given a gift of eternal life. I've overcome sin, death, depravity, the grave, fear, being alone, codependency, drug addiction, everything. I have come and I have revealed myself. Will you receive me? Will you live in me? For I am going to perfect you. 
and I want to give you a gift of salvation. Verse 6 says, because of that, in this you can rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it had been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he says is, he goes, listen, salvation has come to you. You are being perfected. Paul would say it this way um, to the church in Philippi. He goes, God begins a work into you, and he'll carry it unto completion. So the idea, he goes, listen, if you have salvation, God's going to carry you unto completion. And which many of us in our salvation process right now go, God, we are a long way from completion. I got such a long way to go. But here's the promise. The promise is that one day it will be carried unto completion. And I don't think what, what Peter is even talking about here or what Paul is speaking of, I don't think that's on this side of heaven. I think the completion is on the other side. It's when everything is finally brought to reality. We can see clearly. Paul would say it this way to the church in uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, that whole love chapter. He goes, we see you now in a mere dimly lit, but one day we'll see God face to face. We'll finally see the present reality of our salvation made clear in the future hope. But he goes, until then, you need to know that everything in your life has a purpose. And what he would say this way, Peter goes, every circumstance, every trial, every time you feel alone or afraid, every time you're discouraged, you need to know that God can use that as a way to test the genuineness of your faith. I don't know about you, but Christmas is a great time for us to test the genuineness of our faith. For some of you, it's a lack of patience. Can I get an Amen. You know, for a lot of us, Christmas, the time where sights and sounds and smells are at displays, the time that you would take your family through lights and you would see all the things that you think bring hope actually bring a gloomy darkness for many. Many feel alone. Many feel like they are are at an all-time stage in their life in which they're depressed and they feel like there's no hope. And here's the incredible thing is that even in those moments where you go, you know what, Christmas doesn't excite me because I'm alone. Christmas doesn't excite me because it brings the reminder that death has knocked on the door of our house. Peter goes, listen, know that God can use that to bring about a refinement in your life. And you go, I don't want to be refined. Peter says, that's not how the Christian life works. You see, Christmas is great for all of us who our families are intact and we'll gather and we'll have meals and Christmas gifts and we'll do all the receiving and giving. But Christmas is not exciting for everyone. But it can be. If you can remind yourself of the future hope, remind yourself that you are never alone. Remind yourself that the greatest gift has ever been given that you'll receive. Remind yourself that in every circumstance, God is using it to reveal the coming hope of your faith and ultimately reminding you that everything is about God's glory and your good, even the bad things. That's what Peter reminds us of. And you go, what does it mean? For the present day audience that Peter's writing to, it meant that even in the face of persecution, even though you're running for your lives, even though you have to meet in secret, you need to know that God can use the persecution to remind you of his goodness. See, in our day and time, we see the effects of sin. We see disease and heartache and death and persecution. We see circumstances and loss of jobs and hatred and broken relationships. But God says, listen, even in the effects of sin, you can know that I'm using all things for your good. 
you need to know that I can, can re- remind you of the future reality. We also see the effects of other people's sins, people who've hurt us, people who've destroyed our lives, people who've, who've not only persecuted you, but ultimately sought to destroy your name and your, your place in life. Listen, God can use all of that. And so the goal is to set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Even though you're discouraged, hey, take heart. Why? Because Jesus overcome the world. That's what he's talking about here. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Verse 8 says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. It brings up a really good question. Well, how do I fix my eyes on Christ if I've never seen him? And he goes, well, that's how you begin to understand your faith, that you do not see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He goes, listen, there is going to be a day in which you see him, and you're going to behold his glory. See, Peter's writing this to a group of people who've never seen Christ like Peter did. Paul would do, do the same thing. He would write to people, and he goes, listen, I, I wasn't an eyewitness myself, but many of you were. There have been hundreds of eyewitnesses, but what about those who have never seen him? What about you and me, the audience, the readers of this book now? What do we do? We wait for the eternal glory that's going to be revealed in the last days. It's anticipation. We long to see God and the fullness and the salvation of our souls. Like there's going to be a day where we're going to get immortal bodies. We're going to see everything clearly. We're going to be able to see, I think, the difference that we've made on earth for eternal impact and for the, God, for the glory of God. But until then, he goes, you press on, you wait for the coming of Christ. You act as if you see him, that you don't see him, you have faith and you keep on moving. That's difficult. And then he moves on with this idea of salvation. In verse 10, he says, Now concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The idea, he goes, the prophets, they wrote about Christ. Christmas past is being revealed in the present. And you go, well, why? And he goes, they inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He goes, they wrote about Christ and the Messiah to come so that people in the future would have all the knowledge they needed of the Messiah being in present. And then it says this, and it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The reason the prophets wrote was so that you and I would not be left in the dark. The reason they sacrificed, even though they never saw the Messiah, is so that people like you and I would have the gift of the announcement. That they wouldn't miss the incarnate Christ laying in a manger. That they wouldn't be caught off guard when they knew that the Messiah was born in the city of David, in the town of Bethlehem. They wouldn't be caught off guard. Now think about this for just really one second, okay? This should intrigue you. The prophets are intrigued by salvation. And then look what it says. And it says, they would announce this to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which even the angels, what? They long to look into. So listen, the prophets, they would long to understand this idea of salvation. And even the angels long to understand this idea of salvation. And here's what it means. Peter goes, listen, there are people who wrote on your behalf thousand years before Christ, 700, 400 years before Christ, so that you wouldn't be left in the dark. But these prophets, they never got to experience the goodness of God's salvation. They only received the eternal reward because of their faith. They never get the deposit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They never see the glory of God being manifest and revealed in their lives like the church does. And so can you imagine the prophets of old, what they would have done with salvation? 
a forgiveness of sin and a dwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives, a, a forgiveness because of bloodshed, no longer a need to sacrifice or do, to, to do things. What an incredible blessing that would be. We have salvation. So Peter says, grab hold. And then think about the angels. The angels who in some ways had a journey much like ours. They were created by God, just not in his image. And then there obviously was some disobedience in the angelic realm. That's where we come up with this guy named Satan or Lucifer or Diablos, the accuser. And you know that he took a legion of angels with him, possibly a third. The question is, is this, why do angels look into our salvation? It's because they didn't get salvation. They didn't get a second chance. There, there, there was no hope for the, the, the legion of army uh, angels that went astray. There was no chance at a crucifixion or an opportunity for them to have forgiveness and redemption. So they look on us and humanity and they go, listen, how is it that they got redemption? And maybe we should celebrate this. You know, even the angels and heaven celebrate just when one, re one sinner has a repentant heart. Why? Because they didn't get that. They, they, they know of angels that didn't get repentance and forgiveness, so they long to look into the way we handle it, which begs the question, how are you handling your salvation? It's not just confusing to the world around you when we don't handle our salvation well, but listen, it's, it's confusing even the angelic realm because what they know about God and salvation is largely upon what we teach them. How are you handling grace and mercy? How are you handling God making himself known in light to those that were once in darkness? How are you handling that? What are you confusing with Christmas? See, God came near and it should change our future hope. And I get it. I get it. Our future hope should be changed. You go, I, I get that. But the question is, is, are you confusing what Christmas is? Because see, Christmas largely is based on a couple of characters they can oftentimes look similar as well. There's, there's obviously Christmas is about bringing gifts. It's about someone delivering them in one fell swoop at night. He enters homes, oftentimes without being invited, actually, if you think about it. He claims to know that you're uh, good or bad or awake or sleeping. He will even reward those who've been good. Or there's another character at Christmas that I think is the reality of what Christmas is. He's the giver of all good things. He is ever-present. He is our help in our time of need. He enters our lives only when invited. He knows everything, sees everything, and is everywhere. He isn't just eternal, but he desires to give the gift of eternal life. And what's so interesting is, is that he'll give the gift of eternal life and salvation even when you haven't been good. Because it's based not on your goodness, but on his divine perfection and goodness alone. I don't know about you, but where is your house settling most when it comes to Christmas? Somebody that's jolly or someone that seems to get the lump of coal? See, Christ is the giver of Christmas. He is the one that brings salvation. He offers it. It intrigues the angels. It intrigues everyone, and we should pay attention. Why? Because it largely dictates our future. So I need to just give you real quick five reasons why our future hope in Christ and his salvation really matters. Here they are, really quick. Number one, the only eternal God is finally praised without any other competition. 
There's no one standing in the way. It's not us begging about gifts or complaining about gifts, and it's not us putting any other character in the same level of playing field. It's about Christ and him alone. Two, we have finally received the best gift ever, which means we don't have to continue to buy for the best gift ever. Why? Because eternity is at our doorstep. It never decays. It never gets old. It's always intriguing and never gets thrown out. It's undefiled. It's unperishable. Isn't that awesome? What a gift. Three, we'll never be alone. For the Lord God is with us at all times. We are a part of the family of God. What a Christmas expectation. Some of which many of us in this room go, yes, I wish that was here and present reality already. Number four, we can rejoice because even though we're experiencing trials, hardships right now, we know this perfecting us for the future hope. So what that means though, at this point, we have hope and we have peace and we have joy because of what God has done. And then Number five, and probably my favorite, we never, ever have to put up another Christmas tree again. (laughs) Why? Because Christ has died on the tree, and it gives us life and life eternally. And that's what promotes love in us, Advent, hope. Why? Because we have something that never fades away. We have peace because we're part of the family of God. We have joy because God is using everything for his goodness and for his glory and to promote his namesake in our lives. And we can go and we can love one another, even in a season of craziness. Even when somebody cuts us off, we can go, hey, you know what? I love you, dude. Why? Because God has first loved us. It changes our Christmas and the future hope to be revealed if we'll just set our eyes on eternal things. And so I pray that this is challenging for you. I pray it's encouraging. And I also pray that it makes you contemplate the decisions that you're making in this, this present reality because of the future hope that we have of the glory to be revealed. Let me pray for us, church. God, we love you. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, that we have an inheritance that's reserved in heaven. It's a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, that we have peace, that we can see that your goodness and your light has shined forth in the darkness, that you watch over us, that you care for us, that you hear our prayers, that you can take all of our burdens. Lord, we, we look forward to the joy, the joy that's inexpressible because you're using every trial in our faith process, that you are testing us and you are ultimately proving our faith more genuine. And I pray that you'd help us to love one another because you first loved us. Help us to to live in purity. Help us to know and understand the word of God. And may you be with us forever and ever and ever. Amen.